Christ came first again. He, again, I just mentioned that he came as an infant born in a manger. There was no place. And I, it would always stuck to me ever hearing the Christmas story of where it said there was no place for him in the inn. And that always just stuck with me of, of how many places say there's no place for him. How many people don't have a place for him in their life and things like that. But God's, he's going to come back and it's going to be totally different. And what I want you to understand that what I'm going to be reading today, there's a couple of places uh, that you don't have every, script, every part of the scripture in your notes because I couldn't fit everything there without making the font smaller than it is already. And I didn't want to do it where you couldn't read anything. So, uh, but it will all be up on the screen. I put the references down on your paper there. But how many of you know, ever heard of John the Baptist? What did he come to do? He basically came to sound the alarm that the Messiah was coming. And I was thinking about that and uh, different things that, what is an alarm? You know, have you ever noticed on your phone or alarm clock, like uh, on my phone there's, you know, there's 20 different uh, alarm sounds you could put. And no matter how pleasant it sounds in the day when you set it, when it goes off in the morning, it don't sound quite as good, does it? There's, there's no alarm, no more aggravating sound than an alarm that wakes you up. And part of what John the Baptist came to do was to alarm people or to alert them or to awake them to what was about to happen, that Jesus Christ was coming, that Messiah was on his way. And I think what God is getting ready to do now is he's getting ready to wake his church up, what we're going to be talking about today. Because I believe the church in general, not this building, not this, this congregation, his body has fallen asleep while waiting for him. And we're going to see this in, in a few minutes. But let's look at a few verses here as we begin reading. Again, this very first uh, part, I don't have all the notes for you there, um, but it is John chapter 3, verse 26 through 30. So what, what does this say? They came to John, John the Baptist, and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, he was speaking, they were speaking of Jesus, the one you testified about. Okay? Now they heard him testify about Jesus. But notice what they say here. Well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Isn't that an odd statement for them to make? We heard you testify about him that he is the son of God, the one sin of God. But they became, do you see a little jealousy there with them? You see, because before Jesus came, John was going around, uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. And everybody was going to them to be baptized. And let me tell you, that was their appointed, that was what he was supposed to do. But guess what? When the, when the son of God came down, things were going to change. There was going to be a shaking, an awakening, a different thing. And his, his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, didn't like the change. They wanted it the way it was. We, do you kind of see they kind of wanted the glory of it? We, we, we kind of want everybody coming to us, but now they're all going to this guy. None of them are coming back to us. And John straightens them out quickly. He says this, to this John replied, a man can receive only what is given to him from heaven. In other words, John was telling them, 
I have fulfilled what God gave me to do. And that's all I can do. It's not my place. If people, again, we're going to see in a, in a few seconds, it's not for them to follow me. I'm not the Messiah. He says, I've done what God gave me to do. He says, uh, a man can only receive what is given to him. He says, uh, you, you yourselves can testify that I have said. He's, he's telling them, I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. Then notice what verse 29 says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. Now the bridegroom in, in all uh, references and we're talking about today is, is Jesus Christ. That he's, he is the bridegroom and the church, the believers are his bride. And that's what John's telling his disciples. The bride doesn't belong to us. The bride is not, a, we're not trying to create followers of us. We are here to announce that the king of kings is here to bring followers to him. They don't, the bride doesn't belong to us. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. Then he says, the friend who attends the bridegroom, speaking of himself, waits and listens for him. In other words, John the Baptist was there proclaiming that Jesus was coming. And he says, I've been waiting for him. And he says, <coughs> excuse me, and is full of joy when he hears the, the bridegroom's voice. And then remember, that's what he says, behold the Son of God. He's coming, he sees the bridegroom. He says, that joy is mine and is now what? Complete. What, I, what I've been, guys, what I've been proclaiming and doing, I've been doing because that was my purpose with God. But now the Son of Man is here and it's time for them not to be followers of us, but to be followers of him. And notice what he says in verse 30. He must become greater. And I must become less. He must become greater and I must become less. And what I want to talk about today is that statement in our lives for each and every one of us. He has to become greater in our lives. And we have to become less in our lives. We have to be about building his kingdom, not our kingdom. Watch how this unfolds today. Again, we're, we're talking about the bridegroom, Jesus. Notice what it says here in Ephesians chapter 25 through 27. We're just still laying down foundation here. Excuse me. <coughs> he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, which is his bride. And gave, he said, he gave himself up for her, but for a purpose, to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present himself, her to himself as a radiant, or King James says, a glorious church, to present to himself that he would, she would be presented to him without stain, wrinkle, or any blemish, blemish, but holy and blameless. So you see how it begins, everything in, in the New Testament shows us that we're the bride and he's the bridegroom, you know, and some guys don't like that. Oh, well, I ain't no bride. Well, you better be a bride or you're not going to make it. Amen. He's talking, talking about that. And notice what it says in Revelation 19, 6 through 9. It says, then I heard this, what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, 
Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give, give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb, who's the Lamb of God? Jesus, for the wedding of the Lamb has come. And notice this statement, and I, I think I underlined it on your paper for you. It says, and his bride has made herself ready. Are you ready for, have you made yourself ready for his return? He says, and his bride has made himself ready. And then it says this in uh, verse 8, fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Now, and these parentheses are in the NIV version here. I, I didn't add this. It says, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And remember this, because we're going to come back to this uh, later on today. You're going to see in the end how it does tie into this, because this is what I want you to understand. That how many of you know you were saved for a purpose? You were not saved just to, again, God wants you in heaven, but he also wants you to bring others to heaven. He also wants you to witness the people. We are saved in Ephesians 2, uh, 10, what we always talk about, and 8, 8 through 10. It, uh, this isn't in the computer, D, so you don't have to worry. It says we are saved by grace and not by what? Works. So he makes clear to us you're not saved by your works. But then he says we are God's workmanship, meaning God created us put us together, gave us our skills and abilities. And then he says, to do good works, and here's the key part, what God has prepared in advance. And I talked about this several times, and we have to understand that we're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. And not just good works, but the works that God has for your life. The works that God has planned for you. And Forgive me for repeating, I just want everybody to grasp and understand this if they weren't here. We're not just to do good works, but God has specific works for each and every one of us. You see, Jesus, when, before he was crucified, was doing good works. He was going around healing people, doing all these things. But guess what? His initial plan for Jesus' life was to go to the cross and die. What if Jesus says, well, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to continue the good works of going around and ministering to people and healing them. You see, he would have missed the good works that God the Father had planned for his life, and we would we'd be out of salvation. There would be no hope for us for salvation. So it's beyond doing just good works. It's realizing that we have works from the Father. And guess what? When the Holy Spirit comes in your life, we are, we are, you are saved and you are there assigned works for your life. And that's what this scripture kind of talks about there, that the fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Those things that God required and planned for our life that we're going to have to give account to. He says, look, I made you for this and I, I wanted you to do this. Did you do it? Did you help build my kingdom or did you just build your kingdom? Sprinkled around with some good works. Okay, let me get back up here. I don't want to step on nobody's toes. Now. <laughs> he says, fine linen, <coughs> broad and clean was given up for her to wear. Verse 9 says, then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words 
of God. Blessed are they that are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So let, let's go on next. It says this. <clears throat> Again, I'm, I'm laying down foundation here. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3. This is Paul speaking. He says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Now notice what he says. I promised you to one husband who is Christ. Paul's saying uh, the, the, these believers, he says, I'm promising you to one husband who is, is Christ. He says, so that I might present you as a what? Pure virgin to him. But notice what he says in verse 3. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's uh, cunning, that your minds may somehow be what? Led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That somehow we may be led astray. And again, here comes that, that what I'm talking about today is that you're led astray and you're beginning to work on your kingdom instead of his kingdom. You're more worried about your life instead of why he put you here. You want to do what you want. You want everything the way you want. And you go along with God, but you want your way and not his way. Remember last week I told you we don't serve a Burger King God. He don't, ask, he don't work at Burger King and say how you want it. He says this is the way it is. This is what you get. <clears throat> so number one, what we're talking about, point number one today, is it's time for the bride to wake up. It's time for the church of God to wake up. So in that first blank, right, wake up. <coughs> it's time for the bride to wake up. Now again, this next... Uh, Romans 13, 9 through 14. I don't have all the scripture written on your paper uh, to save room there. But it says this. The commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10 says, love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And th then your paper, I think, starts here where it says, and do this. Is that, that's what I had left on your paper, right? I think. Uh, it says, and do this. So he's saying, and do this because of that. Okay, and notice what it says. That love uh, does no harm to its neighbor. But everything is, is, all the commandments are round up in that one thing. So in other words, he says, a neighbor will not com uh, cause the neighbor to commit adultery. A neighbor will not cause or allow a neighbor to commit murder. A neighbor will not cause or allow a neighbor to steal or to covet or whatever other commandment there is. You, you understand what I'm talking about? A true believer will not cause another believer to sin. That's what he's saying. Pick up your feet. I'm about to step on some toes. See, when he says do not commit adultery, meaning, you know what? If someone tells you, oh, I love you, and you're having sex outside of marriage, do they really love you? 
Or are they fulfilling lust in their heart and don't care that it's causing you to sin against God? See, instead they should say, I, can't call, I, I, I don't want to be responsible to cause you to sin against God. Okay, we'll move on. But he's saying all these things there, don't do this. And he says, because of that, he says, and do this, understanding the present time. All these things, love your neighbor as yourself. Understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to what? Wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is now near, nearer now than when we first believed. He says, the night is, er the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. And notice what he says, let us put aside. Not God's going to make you put aside. He says that your pure love and devotion to him is you're going to have to decide to do some things. We have a free will. God's not going to program us like a robot that we don't do it. He's saying, you're going to have to decide if you love me enough to do this. He says, the night is nearly over, and here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness. He says, wake up and put aside those deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And then he says, uh, verse 13, let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Dissension, again, and jealousy kind of goes back to exactly what uh, uh, John the Baptist's believers, they were jealous of Jesus. Dissension means that people who should be in agreement don't agree with each other. They were, you know, they were, oh, man, all the people aren't coming to us no more. And that's what John the Baptist was trying to tell them. They're not supposed to. They're supposed to be going to him. So we see this. It says it's time to wake up. <laughs> Excuse me. And he says, rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So as we, we do this, I want you to realize I'm going to begin with some verses in Haggai here. And we're going to go, next week we're going to get to chapter 2 in Haggai. If you have your Bibles and want to open the Haggai, it's very hard to find. It's only two chapters in the, uh, toward the end of the Old Testament. But <coughs> we have it on your, on your paper here. And it's talking about building the house of the Lord. Haggai was prophet is, and he's, uh, the word of the Lord comes to him. But it would, what was happening is the house of the Lord was not being built. People were basically edifying themselves and putting God's second place in their life. It was more about them and their things, and God was put on the shelf second place. And notice what it says here. <coughs> Excuse me. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is, is it a time, and he asks this question, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, his house, remains in ruin. And what he's talking about there is he says, y'all been focusing on building yourself, your home, your kingdom, and my kingdom and everything else, and my house has been put on the back burner. 
He says, it's been all about you. He says, but it needs to be about me. And notice what he says. Verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. And he mentions this again a little later. Give careful thought to your ways. See, the Bible says a man's way, all a man's ways seem right to him. And he justifies why he does everything he does. But when it stands against the word of God, and when God says, are you really? What is your true motivation? What is your true motive? Is it about me, or is it really about you? Then he goes on to say this. He says, you have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in the purse with holes in it. Verse 7 says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. In other words, he's telling us again, we need to evaluate our life constantly. And we're going we're gonna to talk about this a little bit more in a few more minutes. But we need to realize that we have to constantly be reevaluating our life, where we say what, what is important to us, because we easily get sidetracked. Verse 8 says, go up to the mountains and bring down the timber and build the house, so that, notice what he's saying, the Lord says, that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. In other words, he was letting them know beforehand, you're taking more pleasure in yourself and honoring yourself than you are on me. Verse 9 says, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What, now notice this, what you, brought, uh, what you brought home, he says, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains in ruin, while each of you is busy with his own I don't need to step on your toes. Those words should step on your toes itself. Matthew 6, 33 says this and 34. But seek first his kingdom. This is Jesus speaking. And his righteousness. And he says, and then all these things will be given to you as well. And he's talking about the things you need to survive in this world. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And that's exactly when you look at the last, last word we, we read, because that God's house remains in ruin while each of you is busy about his own house, is that, that exactly what's going on. They were more worried about their kingdom, their will, and not God's kingdom and God's will. Why, when Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, he, had, he made that statement. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because he knew we focus in on us. And let me tell you something, that, you know, we need to realize that we need to seek him first. There's too many dusty Bibles in this world right now. 
too many empty prayer closets in this world. Sad to say I could call a prayer meeting tomorrow night and we're going to have a handful of people show up. Because prayer has taken second. We, we, oh. Most people want to hand you a prayer card and have you pray for them more than they'll pray for themselves. And when they do go into the prayer closet, guess what? It's God, it's all about my kingdom. God, I want you to do this for me. I want you to do this. I want you to make this happen. But it's all about me. It's all about what I desire. It's all about how I want it to turn out. And it may look good. It may be good works, but is it the works that God has prepared? It's time to dust off those Bibles and get God's Word, not in our hearts. It's time to open those prayer closets and begin to pray and seek God first. His kingdom and His righteousness. Now let's look. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. <coughs> this is the verse that this whole message is, was birthed out of as I was reading. And again, we're going to hit many more things next week. But this is what it says, Matthew 25, 1 through 13. This is Jesus speaking. He says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be. It's about the bridegroom coming back. Bridegroom coming for his bride. He says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be. This is how it will be like, he says. Ten virgins who took their lamps and went, to, uh, went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, I want you to understand, there are ten virgins there going out to meet the bridegroom. How many of the ten believed the bridegroom was coming? I'd have to say all ten. Right? We're going to read in a, in a minute. How many believed the bridegroom was coming? How many believed in the bridegroom? How many thought he was coming pretty soon? Ten of them. Now, ten of them had oil. Ten of them didn't. Ten were a little more prepared than the other ten, and, and we're going to read on this, but notice what it goes on to say. It says, five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took, all, took their lamps, but did not take any all with them. However, the wise, however, took all in their jars along with their lamps. And I just want to stop for a second here and talk about this. I think a lot of this has to do, and there's many symbolic meanings of this, but it has to do with religion and relationship. Religion and salvation. There's religion and there's relationship with the Father. Oil represents, the, uh, most of the time in the Bible, the presence of God, the residue of God, the, His Holy Spirit that brings salvation. And I want you to realize that what he's kind of talking about here is there were five versions that received the all of salvation and five maybe just had a religious relationship with God and not a personal relationship with him. And he says this. Here's the, here's the, the kicker in verse uh, 5, though. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. Now notice this. And they all became drowsy. 
and fell asleep. Even the five wise became drowsy and fell asleep. All ten became drowsy and fell asleep. And you see, the Bible says, do not give up in doing right. You know, don't get tired of doing right because when he comes, it'll be all worth it. And what happens is we, if we're not careful and we're not constantly evaluating ourselves and our walk with the Lord, we will become complacent in that walk. It'll become more of robotic than true relationship. We do this, we raise our hands at this time, we do this, we do that, and it becomes more religious. I know, I know we're going to do this, we're going to sing this, we're going to move here, we're going to do this, this, and then this part, we do that. You hear me? The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Then notice what it says. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, all ten of them, and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your all. Our lamps are going out. In other words, they weren't ready. They had not made themselves ready. He says, our lamps are going out. Verse 9, no, they replied, there may not be enough uh, for both you, us and you. Instead, go to those who sell the all and buy some for yourselves. <coughs> but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. In other words, when he showed up, they weren't ready. And they tried to get ready once he showed up. But we're going to see. You better be ready because when he shows up, there's no more time to get ready. Notice what it says here. Uh, verse 10, we'll start again. But while they were on their way to buy the all, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And notice what it says. And the door was shut. Later the others came. The five who weren't ready. They came and said, sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. My friends, we need to be ready today. We need to awake and be ready today. You know, when my wife had got saved first before me, and um, she always witnessed, I mean, I always remember say, telling her I was in my 20s, I'd say, I will when I'm 50. I'll get saved and go to church with you when I'm 50. I said, that way I can live my life and do what, I can do with my little kingdom I want to do. But thank God she never gave up. And I accepted the Lord, and God transformed my life. But let me tell you something. Those that think, well, you know, when uh, I'll do it on my deathbed. Listen, it's more than just saying words. It's a heart condition. And if your heart doesn't want anything to do with God right now, what makes you think all of a sudden you, you're going to want life insurance? That's all you're screaming out for. 
But you think you're, you, all of a sudden you got a love for God that you didn't have before when you're laying on your deathbed? We need to be ready now. Amen. Let, let, let's, let's go on. <coughs> Matthew 25 through 31. This is the same chapter. Jesus is still speaking. And it goes toward the, toward the end of the chapter here. And he, he wraps it all up. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, when the bridegroom comes, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And notice what it says. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will, be, he will separate the people from one from another as a shepherd sh separates sheep from goats. Verse 33 says, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, notice what he says, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance from the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now notice what he says here. And the reason I'm, remember when, when in the beginning when we talked about the, the linen, about the righteous acts of the saints? Notice what he's saying here. He says, For when I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came visit me. And verse 37 says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger or invite you in or needing clothes or clothe you? Verse 39 says, when, you did, when did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? Then the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the one of the least of my brothers of mine, you did for me. That's why we say serving God by serving people. Notice how he brought up, the king brings up, because you've done the works that I've prepared for you. The works that you are here on earth for. You fed, you've helped, you reached out, you loved your neighbor as yourself. And he welcomes him in. Then notice what he goes on to say. Uh, what verse are we on here? Verse 40. 41, okay. Then he will say to those on his left, okay, he put the sheep on the right, walks them in, the ones on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, I want you to catch something in that. Where, what was the eternal fire prepared for? People? No. For, prepared for the devil and his angels. It's never God's intention to send one human being there. Notice he didn't say, I created eternal fire for the devil, angels, and fallen people. It's always been God's will that all should be saved. But when they're not, he has no choice. Uh, then to his left, he says, depart from me, cursed, uh, uh, you who are cursed into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For when I would, notice what he goes to tell them again now. 
and tie this back to where we, we were talking about in the, the, the fine linen is the works. <coughs> Excuse me. It says this, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. And he makes this statement. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It's time the bride wakes up and fulfill what, she, what, what she, her position is, to make her holy and blameless and to walk and fulfill the purpose that God created you for, to find the, the will and purpose and plans that God has for your life. It's not about our homes, our, our life, our kingdoms. It's time to switch for not our kingdom, but his kingdom. Seek first his kingdom, and he's going to take care of your kingdom. Be a servant in his kingdom, and he'll be king of your kingdom. Amen. Let's stand to our feet as we close in prayer. Just want to encourage you today to say simply, evaluate your life today. Have, have we been slowly been about us and less about him in our life? And realize that we need to put him back on the throne where he belongs. Take ourselves off the throne and put him back. If you never accepted the Lord as your personal Savior, I want to give you that opportunity today. Maybe you're just realizing, you know what, maybe the Holy Spirit has brought conviction in your life and says, you know what, there's some of the things that where he said, let us do. I need to start doing to be prepared. Are you ready for his return today? If he came back right now, are you ready? Are you 100% ready? So let's just, please repeat after me today. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I admit that you haven't always been first in my life. But I pray that today with the power of your Holy Spirit, that your kingdom be put first in my life. That I no longer desire to sit on the throne, but place you on the throne where you belong. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And I just pray that he'd come into my heart right now to be the light of my world from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise, amen. God bless.